Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Let's get ready to teach tonight. We're going to have a great time talking with you tonight. And I ask that each of you would remember each other in prayer. If you are watching us on Facebook, make sure to shout us out. You can open up a uh, watch in your, on your page. I'll invite your friends to join in. If you're watching on, on YouTube, text somebody, call somebody. Tell them to join us for the study of the word tonight. And let's keep that going. Let's keep it going with each other, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we honor you. We love you. We thank you for this night and for what you're about to do in us. We thank you for the move of God in our lives. Teach us your word, O oh Lord, that we might be open to your divine truths and allow us to learn therein. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, bless you, saints. It's so good to have you join us again tonight. Let me just tell you tonight what I want to talk about for the next few moments again is the theme that we've been working on, uh, living faith in stressful times, and this is 19. Um, a part of the theme is to examine what it's like uh, to live your life dealing with the regular vicissitudes of life as life comes. Um, life is not always easy, it's not always fair, and in the text that we're working at tonight, which is a really important text, really pivotal transitional text, um, the life that, that is going on for Jacob is a very difficult time. And if you read the text closely enough, there are four burials in that text when you read it. The, the first burial happens when they bury the, the, the items and the idols from foreign gods. The, the second one is the death of Deborah, then the death of Rachel, and then the death of, of uh, Israel himself. Four burials in one chapter. It's interesting how this goes. It's the highs and lows. But it's not just that. I wish it was just the four burials, um, as if death is not enough. Every week we get another call of saints that are sick and saints that are going through. Um, we're praying this week with the Miller family, uh, our dear sister Tawanda Miller. Her brother just passed away. I, I believe I read he's like 48 years old, a great basketball star at the University of Massachusetts. And, uh, and, and Brother Williams just went on home to be with the Lord. And it's, it's one of those things that every day, 48 years old, and he's gone in such great athletic shape. And so we're dealing with death all the time, and, and it's hard on us because we are not, we are so emotionally attached to one another in life that death creeps up in us, and we have to deal with that emotional aftermath. And so I pray for Sister Wanda, pray for her family, pray for her mother, her husband, Minister Miller. We pray for each other at this point now. Pray for all those that are sick because sickness comes in. Trials come in. Things don't go as you think they will go medically. And that's all in this chapter here. A medical problem in this situation. So this text is important because it has all that. And it's the transitional text to really what is the future of Israel. And that is the tribe, the 12 tribes. And what will happen with these young men. And a part of it teaches us some great lessons about the tribes and what will take place and where they will go going forward. And so when one reads this text, you are reading now at, I think, the epoch moment that shifts the movement from one generation to the next. 
As one generation completes its journey, the next generation is beginning a journey, and the generation succeeding them, the children of that generation, which would be the 12 tribes, will be succeeding Israel going forward. So that the promises made to, to Jacob in these texts are promises of procreation, I bless your seed, I bless that which comes from your loins, are not really promises for him to have more children per se, but that the children that he has are going to have children and that this lineage is going to continue on. So this text, this text that we want to wrestle with and want to deal with over the next few moments really brings us into life and the roughness of life. And what I want to talk about tonight, I'm going to do it in seven chunks. This chapter has seven important movements that complete the transition of Jacob and his family. Seven important movements that complete the transition of Jacob and his family. And these seven important movements are really important to us to see. And so I'll start at the top and I'll roll through, but the first part, because I dealt with it last week, I won't say a lot about it, but I want them to be in here so you can see it all kind of lay out chapter 35 and the journey of, of Jacob. The first one, which is interesting is, it is the climactic termination of apostasy. And the word apostasy means the abandonment of belief. So it's the climactic termination of apostasy. And what that means is that they had gone off into a measure of looking at other idols. They took the idols and they took the gold and jewelry from the people that they raided. And as they were about to enter into a deeper level of apostasy, a deeper level of unbelief, a deeper level of, of not worshiping the one true and living God, God shuts the door on that and is serving Jacob by having them bring all of that stuff, all of the idols, all of those wicked items that they took, and instead of melting it down and getting a bar of gold, now these things are not even worthy of us dealing with. We are going to take it, dig a hole, and bury it. We're gonna, have, we're gonna bury it. All that's got to go. And that's important that you see that because he needs to cut off everything. So, so if you look at, at, at chapter 35, verse 1 through 4, chapter 1, verse 1 says, then, then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. I'm reading out the New King James Version for this verse. And make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. And Jacob said, to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you, purify yourselves, change your garments, then let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God, who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands and earrings which were in their ears and Jacob hid them or buried them underneath the timber tree, which was by Shechem. And Jacob took that stuff and said, we got to get rid of it. It's got to go. We can't have it around us anymore. 
The Amplified Version reads verse 4 of the Amplified Version of the same text we just read. So they gave Jacob all the idols and images of the foreign gods that they had and the rings which were in their ears worn as charms against evil. And Jacob buried them under the oak near Shechem. So we have this, this, this first movement, uh, and this, these movements that I'm talking about tonight, is this termination of apostasy. This first movement is this termination of apostasy. We're getting rid of everything that's not like God. I want to say this to, to you really importantly, that in your life, there may be things that have to be cut off in order for you to be connected. Do it again. In life, there may be things that have to be cut off in order for you to be connected. There may be things that need to be buried in order for you to be in the will of God and be blessed. So some stuff gets buried so that you can be blessed. Now, that's not easy for us to do because we are used to having things our way and liking what we like. But there's some things that we need to cut off. And I, I'm not just limiting this to idols as in fixed items. I'm, I'm putting this with people and things that are out of the will of God that we just got to cut off in order to connect with God. We got to let some stuff go. And, and some of us even know, even while I'm speaking now, you know of stuff that should be cut off. You know of people that should be cut off. You know you don't get drunk unless you get near that certain person. If they're around, you're going to go and indulge. If they're around, you're going you're gonna to take too much of whatever. You're going to imbibe. You're going to do what you... If that person's around, you're going to act a fool. You know that you have limitations on your, sen your sense of sensuality and sexualness, but this person can push you to another level, and before you know it, you're standing on the table with your dress off, waving around there. You, they, brother, you to say, you get around the wrong set of fellas, and they can talk you into doing stuff, that you would not do if you weren't in their company. And so some stuff has to be cut off in order to be connected. Some stuff has to be cut off in order to be connected. If you really want to connect with God in the way in which you want God to move in your life, you've got to know that there are some things that need to be cut off in order to be connected, buried in order to be blessed. If I cut it off, I get connected. If I bury it, I can get blessed. Now, bury in this sense is not to bury and hide it only. It, it's to get rid of it. It's to get rid of it. You know, uh, you, if you don't let it go, it will be, Teddy Pendergrass, another love TKO. You got to be. I know, went over some of your heads. Okay, I'll come on back. I'm going old school right now for sure. Okay. So you've got to realize the first movement in the text is the climactic termination of apostasy. And all of us need that movement in our lives. Number two, number two, it's the completion of transformation acknowledgement. It's the completion of transformation acknowledgement. And I could have used the word transformative acknowledgement, but you understand the point I'm trying to draw on. The completion of that acknowledgement. You know, when God really got a hold of Jacob, God said, 
It's not good enough for you to be who you were because who you were was a supplanter. Who you were was a trickster. Who you were was deceiver, a conniving individual. I need you to make a complete change from who you were to who I desire you to be. So I want to complete the transformation. And what I want to do is, I want you to have a new name, Israel, indicative of new management. God directed, not self-directed. I need a new name, Israel, indicative of new management, God directed, not self-directed. You know, some of us are still running around with our own name. And, and you know, we had street names when we were back in the hood, but we can't go by those street names or be those street persons we used to be. You know, they might have called you Tech Nine or, or Killer Bill or, or Shoot 'em Up Charlie or you, whatever. You can't be that and be what God wants you to be. You can't be that person, you know, uh, you know, chill so-and-so or smooth so-and-so or ladies' man or, 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 or drop it like it's hot sister. You can't be that. You can't be a hoish brother. You, you can't be that, you know, um, um, I, uh, somebody beloved of me who's now with the Lord. They used to call him Superman. And the reason for that was he went around, he had too many women in his life. So he was more than a man. He was super. No, you can't be Superman anymore and be what God wants you to be. There has to be a complete transformation acknowledgement. That is that I acknowledge not only what God is doing in me, but I acknowledge that I receive what God is doing in me so that what God is making me, I'm accepting that. See, it wouldn't have been any good for God to say, uh, hey man, I'm going to change your name. And he said, I like my name just the way it is. I've been Jake my whole life. Why are you going to mess with my name? Well, Jacob, your whole life you've been crooked. I'm changing your name for your good. And some of us have to realize we need to have one of those James Cleveland moments. And James Cleveland said, I told Jesus it'll be all right if you change my name. James Cleveland said, said I told Jesus to change my name. And you need, you need to get to the place where you will tell Lord, change my name. Let me, let me help you here. Because see, if you don't, the former you will be over. Come, come here, come here, apostle. Didn't they used to call you Saul? But God put you into a place where he cut you off even from sight and vision so that you could be reborn, scales ripped from your eyes, and you would no longer be Saul, but you'd be Paul. There, there's a way in which God wants to change your name. And I don't just mean that metaphorically. At some point, you've got to say, Lord, you inhabit me to the point that I'm willing 
to change my name. I want, I want to be what you want me to be. I don't want to be what I used to be. I know, I know you were sexy, Susan, but I don't want to be. I, hey, you know, hey, I know, I know when you, you know, you, 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 you like Khalees, you know, my milkshake, all the boys in the yard, and they're like, no, you don't need to shake your milkshake. No, you need to go on. Come on here. I'm teaching it here tonight, Lord, help me. Listen, you need to say, look, I want the Lord to change my name. I don't want to be who I used to be. Now, now, now this is important because God says to him, says, look, man, I know what you've been doing. I know who you are. I know you better than you know yourself. I know who you are. I know who you be. I understand you. I understand what you're going through. What I want from you is going to be different. I want to do something inside of you. Now let's go down to verse 9. Then God, in a visible manifestation, I'm reading from the Amplified Version. Amplified Version. And God, in a visible manifestation, appeared to Jacob again when he came out of Padram Aram and declared a blessing on him. And again, again, God said to him, Your name is Jacob. You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called Israel, and God said to him, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. I'm God Almighty. I'm the all-sufficient one. He, he speaks to him, calls him by a new name, and then declares to him that I am the all-sufficient one. I am El Shaddai. Look, if you want to know me the way I want to know you, I want to know you in a way that you know that you have the sufficient one, the powerful one in your life. I am El Shaddai. So I'm going to change you so that you are what I want you to be. Not who you were, but who I'm calling you to be. Because I'm calling you out from where you were into something greater. I'm calling you out from where you were into something new. I'm calling you out from where you were into something different. And it, this is now, look, look at it again now. This is now the completion of his transformative acknowledgement. God says, I am acknowledging you've been transformed. And you are going to acknowledge your transformation by receiving this new name. You're going to acknowledge that you've been changed. You know, James Cleveland said, I told Jesus it would be all right if you changed my name. And then James said, then Jesus told me, the world's going to hate you, James, if I change your name. He said, I told him it would be all right. I told him it would be all right if you change my name. Let me tell you something. Each one of you in your own heart has got to get to the place where you tell Jesus it will be all right if you change my name. I'm good with it, God. I'm yours, Lord. Everything I am, everything I'm not, hey, whoo, glory to your name. Change my name. Make me what you want me to be. Not my will, your will be done. Not my will, your will be done. Not my will, your will be done. Yeah, there's some metaphorical implications in that. There's some metaphor in that for you. 
I'm not asking you to change your name. I, I, I see on my screen here, this Sister Dolores and Sister Regina. I, I'm not asking you to change Joanne from the, you, no. What, what I'm saying is the person that you were in, in, in yonder days are not what God wants you to be now. I'm getting ready to move you into something fresh. I'm bringing you to a fresh place, a new place, a wealthy place, another place, a different place from the used to, from the yesterday to the today. This is the now place of God. This is the now movement of God. This is the now taking of God. God wants to wrestle you out of who you were into who you're meant to be. And you need to tell him, Lord, it's all right. It's all right if you change my name. It's okay, God. What you want to do in me, I'm good with it, Lord. I'm good with it. I'm good with it. I'm good with it. I'm good with it. And then number three, number three, and I'm, I'm working these movements. I, I kind of feel this tonight. It's the completion of tribesmen ancestors. The completion of tribesmen ancestors. Right here, in this text, the twelfth son is born. The twelfth son is born. If you drop down to verse 16, and let's look at it. Then they journeyed from Bethel, and when there was still some distance to go to, to get to Bethlehem, to Ephraim, so they're about a mile or so away from, from Bethlehem, Rachel began to give birth and had difficulty and suffered severely. When she was in hard labor, the midwife said to her, do not be afraid. You now have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she died, she named him Beoni, son of my sorrow. But his father called him Benjamin, son of my right hand. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephra, that is Bethlehem. Jacob set a pillar memorial monument on her grave that is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. It's, it's imperative that you see this, that there she is in labor and, and God does a, a miraculous thing in that moment. God, God blesses her to birth a son. Now, now in the pain of her labor as she is departing the world she says something that is that is rough in this and that she speaks of him and she calls him Bionai now if you go back and you read the birth of all of Jacob's other children sons the wives all named the children but in this case Jacob or now Israel does not feel it's appropriate to name him that. So he steps in, takes the beginning of the name that she offered him, and completes it while changing the entire meaning that she put to it. 
Now you have to know Rachel comes out as a figure throughout the Bible, and particularly in, Jer in Jeremiah, we hear Rachel weeping for her children because they were not. You have to understand that, that, that her, her as a weeping figure is well known, but what, what, what he does is he says, I won't allow you to put this weepy spirit of sorrow over this child. I'm going to speak over him what I want him to be. Let me preach it here. I've had people in this church that I have said to, okay, I know that's the nickname you have for that child, but I don't want to hear that name anymore. I don't, I don't tell people very often, don't say that. They say, well, well, this is the baby. No, don't say that anymore because you're putting a spirit over them by the name you've allowed yourself to affix to their life. You're putting it over them. You, you, you're calling them something outside of what God wants. And this is one of the first instances where he jumps in and says, I need to stop this. I can't let this happen. His name is Benjamin, son of my right hand. Beloved son here. I, 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 you will notice in his lifetime the struggle of both the sorrow that his mother predicted and the right-handedness of his father's blessing upon him are both in his life. The sorrow, the near sorrow that comes by the time you get to Genesis 49, you, you, the ending chapters of this, of this book of Genesis, you find where, 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 where Jacob, or now Israel, is worried that if, if you take Benjamin, my gray hair will be uncovered and fall out because this is my heart. You can't, this is my lad, this is my baby boy. Don't bother him. There's some love for him, and probably because he's Rachel's boy. And Rachel was his beloved wife. That was the one he worked for in the beginning before he got Leah. So he's special to him. But, and so he's got to speak over him. You know, there, there's, a, there's another instance of this kind of uh, naming that gets cloudy. Uh, you sometimes go later on in the Bible. First Samuel chapter 4, verse 21 has that story there. And, and here in the story, First Samuel 4, 21, said, Then she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God has been captured because her father-in-law and her, and her husband. Now, we don't want you naming Ichabod over your children. We don't want you naming sorrow, Biona, over your children. We don't want you speaking out anything. Let me, let me do it this way. You begin to proclaim over your children that which you desire for their lives, not that which you think you see. So even if you see them slowful, you proclaim over them the glory of God. Even if you see them at drunk or druggard, you claim over them that they're sober and saved. You, you, you have to begin to claim for them that which you desire. Now, I'm, I'm off, a little bit off topic because I, my, my point here is that this is the completion of the tribesmen ancestors. Because this is the last of the 12 tribes. This is the last son to be born. This is the last son to be born. Or is it? It is and it isn't. Because in here, they now completes 
the 12 sons born to Israel. He is it. He is the last one to leave his loins. Israel will have no more sons. And in the way, it completes the tribe. And it is an important movement in the text that is here. But Rachel is also important. Rachel is also important. Rachel is important, but not only is Rachel important, but Rachel where she has her child is important and where she is buried is important. Okay, let's see if we can work with this. Number four, it becomes the completion of transition acquisition or the settlement in the land so that location is as important as the situation on the ground. Where she has the child is as important as that she had the child. Stay with me because I'm about to preach it in here good. Notice now, <clears throat> she has the child in the land of promise. Notice now, she has the child, listen, listen, not far from Bethel. Notice she's not far from Bethlehem. Notice that she is in the land of promise. Watch this now. The last son is the last son is the son of Rachel's prayer, born in the land of promise. This is good. This is good right here. The last son is the son of Rachel's prayer. Born, he was born in the land of promise. Why, 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 is that, why is that important? Well, we got two things working here. One, out of all the children that were born, most of which were born outside of the promised land. But Benjamin is born in the promised land. Outside, inside. Benjamin is there, born there, and his mother is buried in the promised land. She was born outside, but she's buried in the promised land. Come on back, I'm working on it now. Remember her prayer? You probably didn't see her prayer. It was in the scripture we read. She had one little prayer. She doesn't have a lot of words, but it's a big prayer. And she put it in the name so that when she had her first son, she was praying for her second son. Watch this. Genesis chapter 30, verse 24. It says, so she called his name Joseph and said, the Lord shall add me another son. She was praying in the second son while she was birthing the first son. 
The Lord may add, God add, 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 increase, increase, increase. And notice, at the, as she is in labor and is going to die, her, the woman looks at him and says, said, verse 17 says, look, do not fear. You will have this son also. The Lord is adding a son to you. The Lord is adding this one here. Uh, watch this. Ooh, this is so good. I'm, I'm about to run out here and shout myself. Listen here. Verse 17, reading, reading in the Amplified section says, When she was in hard labor, the midwife said to her, Do not be afraid. You now have another son. It's imperative that you see that her prayer has been answered. She is in the position where she's supposed to be in. She's in the place where God wants her to be at. She is about to leave this world, but God has answered her prayer. And she now at this moment, as she has prayed for the child, God has given it to her. And then at that climactic moment, when she's about to make a mistake and speak over him in a direction that's not proper, not good, her, her husband steps in just enough to speak ahead of her to bring it back in line to the will of God. Now, now, all of that, I said all that, and went all around, around Barbara's barn, uh, the beloved wife, Rachel, to say this. There are certain times when even the most quiet, docile, um, non-interruptive person has got to speak up. There are times when, and, and you know, I'm one of those people, I don't get, I don't say anything until I have to. I'll let you make your own mistakes. I'll let you do what, you, what you're trying to do. I'll try and correct you afterwards. But I, I try to let you do, do. But when I have to, I have to. Everybody else got to name what they were naming. But in this case, Israel said, no, hold on, hold on. I got to say something here. I can't let this one go. Now, people that don't understand that, 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 that need to step in the gap at particular times will be upset saying, I wanted you to step in over here, or I needed you to step in over here. Why are you stepping now? Because this one requires me to step up. And you have got to know when you are required to step up. And there'll be times in your life when you must step up and speak up when something is not in line in order to bring the perfect will of God to pass. So we have the completion of the transition acquisition. The land is settled by the birth of a son in the land and the burial of a wife in the same place. Now, this next one, it's a pivotal movement, but it's a sad movement. And I pause as I'm getting ready to say, to talk about it because I can't rush through it. I got I to gotta deal with what I got to deal with. I had to deal with the text as the text is. And many of you have read it, but you may not have read it the way it ought to be read. So I'm going to read it again. Here's the verse. The verse is Genesis chapter 35, verse 21 and 22. Then Israel journeyed and pitched his tent beyond the Tower of Eder. And it happened when Israel dwelt in the land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard about it. 
this is, this is a sad commentary. This is a sad commentary. Verse 22 in the Amplified says, while Israel was living in that land, Reuben, his eldest son, went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard about it. Now, to call her a concubine is to diminish her role and put her down, make her less than her position. Her position was a wife. She was his father's wife. And this, this is a movement that's important because it is the completion of a treacherous act. The completion of a treacherous act. This is the act of, uh, uh, of debauchery, wickedness. But it also is a precursor to the waywardness of these sons. Some of these boys are gonna do some real nefarious deeds up to and including, which we'll get to a little later on in the series, but to including selling their own brother into slavery. And so the completion of this act really begins to set us up for a whole new set of wickedness. You know, the wickedness committed by, by those brothers in the Dana Hemmer incident is one thing that was outside the family. This is, he goes into his father's tent. Now, this, this text is, is interesting for a number of reasons. One is, we have him entering into and uncovering his father's wife's bed. By the time you get to Leviticus chapter 20, and you can turn, open your Bibles there, Leviticus 20 verse 11, it says, the man who lies intimately with his father's wife has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall most certainly be put to death. Their blood is on them. It, it, it is one of those things where he violates his, it's not necessarily stepmother, it's his father's wife. And in violating her, he does a wicked, dastardly deed. Somehow, she must have let it be known, whether it was screaming, whether she was in the process of being raped and hollered out. Something took place that it had to be known, and Jacob does find out, Israel does find out that this has happened. So the one, trans, one interpretation of the text for years has been that he has raped his father's wife and this incestuous relationship has been wickedness. And of course we know how Israel felt about that. Israel speaks harshly about him on his deathbed and he really shows us something in a few moments and I'll get to that in just a moment. It's a treacherous act. It's a treacherous act. It's so treacherous that what he does causes Israel to, in effect, take him out of his will. I'm gonna disown you. I'm gonna, whatever it is that he has done, and I'm gonna give you an alternative uh, interpretation of it in just a moment. Whatever it is he's done, it is so vile in the eyes of Israel he doesn't kill him, but he takes him out of the will. 
Matter of fact, let's go to 1 Chronicles, rather, chapter 5, verse 1. And if you have an amplified version, you could really find that there. 1 Chronicles, chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Now we come to the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel. For Reuben was the eldest, but became, but because he defiled his father's bed with Bilhah, his father's concubine, his birthright was given to Manasseh and Ephraim, the sons of Joseph, the favorite son of Israel, so that he is not enrolled in the genealogy according to the birthright. So Reuben's birthright was revoked and transferred to Manasseh and Ephraim, the sons of Joseph. Reuben's birthright was revoked and is transferred to Ephraim and Manasseh. So that the way in which he, he dealt with it was by disinheriting him. I take your birthright. I take what you deserve. The, the, the eldest son was supposed to get the double portion. Was supposed to get a double portion. Every other son was to be blessed, but the eldest was to get the double portion. I'm taking the double portion, but I'm also taking your name. I'm taking your place away from you, and I'm gonna give your place to the children of my favorite son, Joseph. Now, first interpretation that is readily in the text, that is appearing in the text, is that he raped her. But there's another idea around in some of Jewish literature, and that other idea from Jewish commentators is this, that instead of Reuben just going in and raping her, that that's not what he did. What they suggest is that while Rachel lived, Jacob kept his tent with Rachel. And as long as she lived, he was with her. When Rachel died, Bilhah moved into, into her place in the tent. But Leah should have been the second wife and should have moved up in rank and been in the tent with Jacob, or Israel as we would say. And because Reuben felt like Israel had disrespected his mother, he went in, this is another interpretation of this, of this idea here, he went in and he took all of Bilhah's stuff and turned over her bed and got his mama in the place where Bilhah was. And the act was so grievously seen by, by, by Israel, the displacement of this woman, that it would equate to adultery so that Reuben would lose his firstborn right. I, um, let, me, let, me do, let me do two things before I, I got to rush. I, I know I'm telling you a whole lot. And get, and sometimes I get a little deep, but I'm, I, but I'm trying to. I, you're in Bible study. You want to know the real stuff. Come on. Uh, okay, listen. I would like to think that this is what he did 
rather than thinking that he went and raped Bilhah. The text does not say he did the latter that I just gave you. That's a later writing. It's a later midrash, later conversation. The text seems to intimate that he went in and was intimate with her and it became known to his father. And whatever happens, I think the lesson learned here twofold, this, this changed the dynamic, and that's why I call it a movement. It changed the dynamic of his relationship with his father permanently, and it changed the generations that would come from his loins because they are displaced by the new placement of Ephraim and Manasseh. And that's why I called it the completion of a treacherous act. I got two more to go. Let me get it. I got to get it done. I got to get it done. Number six. Number six. This is the sixth movement in this chapter. And this is the completion of transfer authority. The completion of the transfer of authority. That is the death of Isaac. When Isaac dies, there can be no revocation of what has been given to Israel. It is complete. It is over. The will has been read. Everything is finished. Nothing can be changed. The transfer is complete. This is, this is the penultimate passing of the torch. And the succession is now complete with the penultimate passing of the torch, the succession is now complete. Once Israel dies, there is no going back. It is finished. It is finished. It is over. At this point now, the authority and, and who is the patriarch of the family is complete. The patriarch is now Israel. Abraham to Isaac, Isaac to Israel. Israel is now the patriarch, the last living patriarch. With the death now, the completion of transfer authority. Let's go read it just a little bit. From verse 21 to 29, he lists out all of the names of everyone there. Verse 27 is where we want to pick up at. Verse 27. Then Jacob came to his father Isaac at memory and kept at Kadesh Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had dwelt. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years old. So Isaac breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people, being old and full of days. Isaac breathed his last. I love that, that, that word, and was gathered unto his people. He, he breathed his last, and he took his place among the ancestors. He took his place with Abraham. He breathed his last, and at that point, we now have the complete transfer of authority. Now it was already completed earlier. It was already given to him, but it is finito at the last breath. It is over. 
It is finished. He is now the patriarch of the family. He's the one. And this is a, this is both a jubilant and difficult time. But jubilant in that the text gives a eulogy for him. And the eulogy for him is this. He, he breathed his last and died. And the gathered to his people means that he died in peace. And therefore, he entered into paradise. He entered into the presence of God. He entered into among the ancestors who had gone on before him in peace. But what was really important to them was that he had lived so long, 180 years. And he was old and full of days. God gave him a robust life. God gave him long life. Long life, God satisfied him and blessed him. And that's a beautiful thing. The transfer was complete. I close tonight, close tonight, and I, and I, I want to get this last one in before we run out of time. So let me give you this last one. The last one is in the verse that has been deleted. The, the, the next sentence, I should say, that is there. This ends this section, and there's no long discussion about this. There's not a lot of written here. There's something sweet in its simplicity. This is verse 29, the very last verse. It says, and his sons, Esau and Jacob, buried him. And his sons, Esau and Jacob, buried him. Watch this. Completion of tussling acrimony. Number seven, it's the completion of tussling acrimony. All of the acrimoniousness that has gone on between them, all of the fighting, all of the arguing, all of the fear for one's life, all of the worry about whether one was going to get through or not, whether one was going to kill the other, whether, whether Esau was going to take Jacob out, it is over. And when their father dies, they come together and they bury him. They come together and they celebrate his life together. No more fighting. That, that whole scene is over. Matter of fact, the next chapter, chapter 36, is devoted just to the genealogy of Esau and his family. It's over. It's finished. It's the completion of the tussling acrimony, and we now know that it is over. It is finished. Brother can live next to brother, side by side. Well, they'll move a little bit apart because their families are so big and their, their livestock is so big. They'll separate because of that, but they will not separate because they need to fight. They will not separate because they're afraid of each other. They're, they're afraid to get into the battle and they're arguing with us. No, they're separate because they, they need space for, for their growing ranches, their growing, their growing herds, their growing families. This text and this movement here culminates it all. That all the acrimony that went into making him who he became, Jacob to Israel, is now finished, and the family's ready for them to go on with the new patriarch, Israel at their head. 
leading the way into the very promises of God and going forward, sharing the news about the love of the Lord and about what God's getting ready to do. He's had a difficult journey, but he's living his faith in a very stressful time. And he's doing it, and I think the best way possible, by letting God lead him. And with God's leadership, he's able to survive. Burying the idols, burying of Deborah, the burial of Rachel, the burial of his own father. All of it, he realizes God is with him. God bless you, saints. I'm so glad you joined us tonight. This has been a great time, been another study. I pray your minds open up. I know some of you sitting online, you're probably like, you know, some of these thoughts and ideas just coming out. You're like, whoa, I didn't know all that was in the Bible. It's all here, y'all. We're going to keep working on it. I'm going to be right back right here next week. Y'all come on, join me. I love you all with the love of the Lord. You won't change my mind. Again, I, I said it during my message, but I'll announce it again now. Please keep the Miller family in your prayers. I say Miller, uh, his name was Michael Williams, I believe. I'm doing it from memory. I'm pretty sure that's it. He uh, once played basketball, great basketball star from Hartford. He used to play at UMass on uh, one of the great John Calipari teams. Uh, one of the teams that went to the NCAA, uh, he, I think he might have made it close to the Final Four. Uh, he was a great ball player and a great person, as I have come to know him even of late. And I just want you all to keep that family in your prayers. Also, keep praying for each other. Pray for the Daniels. Pray for the Murphys. Pray for each other. Pray for my dear sister Nadine Brown, Mother Brown. We're going to keep you in our prayers, Brother Gillespie, and all of you other saints. I may not call your name out because you may not be going through anything immediate right now, but you're still in my prayers. Every hip that's been replaced, y'all in my prayers. Every sickness, every pain, every ache, we hold you before the Lord. Now, I want to tell you this. This Sunday, we're going to have a great service, special service. At the end of this Sunday service, we are going to celebrate our senior deacon, William Wiggins. Deacon Wiggins, uh, before the pandemic hit, the Connecticut National Deacons Alliance, we're going to honor him. We're going to be able to honor him this Sunday with the Connecticut National Baptist Deacons Alliance. I want you to help us honor him. At the end of service this Sunday, we're going to celebrate our wonderful deacon, Deacon William Wiggins, and we will also love on and celebrate Deaconess Phyllis Wiggins, because without her, there would be no Deacon Wiggins. Amen? She keeps him going. So we love her, and we love them, and we want you to celebrate with us, and we love you so much. God bless you, saints. I want you to do this for me. If you desire to give, you know we give these offerings out. The diaconate takes care of this. I want you to join us in giving. Give is unto the Lord. You know this benevolent gift you can give by Cash App, by Givelify, or you can mail it in. Just put in there, benevolent, and uh, we'll, it'll get to the right place. They will pass it on to the diaconate, and they'll keep doing the great ministry work that they're doing. I thank you so much for joining me tonight. Maybe there's somebody that heard this word tonight says, hey, I need Jesus in my life. I, I, I love this teaching. I want to be a part of what you're doing. And I don't want to leave without giving you that opportunity. So let me acknowledge that if you want to be a part of us and a partner with us in ministry, 
get in touch with us. Email us, call us, write us. We would love to be in touch with you. You can always email us here, and the information is up on your screen, and say, I want to be an I member of Shiloh, and I want you to join with us here in this wonderful place. Well, this has been a great time, y'all. This has been another one for Jesus. I pray you've gotten something out of this word. I've had a great time putting it together. I hope you've had a great time listening. And I pray that God continues to enlighten you, open up your mind so that you live the way God wants you to live so that when he comes back, you'll hear him say those immortal words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joys of the Lord. This has been another one for Jesus. Guess what? You know what I like to say. I'll give you that one word benediction. God bless you, saints. Shalom.